gentlemen, welcome back to the East Go to 11. Once again, your host, Nathan Bell. Greg Dutcher sitting across from me. Greg, how are you doing today? Doing well, Nathan. You were asking me earlier about the Ravens. It's so weird to be in the playoff season and have nothing to say. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're out of it. Uh, I mean, the Steelers have um, gotten in. I'm trying to avoid any reference to the Philistines, uh, <laughs> enemy nations of Israel. I'll just say they got in. And uh, we'll see what happens after that. At least you uh, left out the uncircumcised. Right. Yeah, Yeah, we don't want to go there. Uh, We definitely don't want to go there and just say, uh, who are these Steelers to talk? No, I'll stop it there. So we we actually, we we found, Nathan, we've got a number of fans that are Steelers fans. I found through the Twitter feed and Facebook. So uh, you Steelers fans out there, we love you. Um, and it shows that God is, is a God who extends grace. <laughs> so, um, you know, but doing well. I mean, it's nice to watch football games mm-hmm. and, and honestly, and not, care. <laughs> not care. I mean, just enjoy the game, yeah. not have this ridiculous uh, nervousness that sets in. Some of this, I got a feeling it's going to tie in with our, our guest today, too. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, Greg, I wouldn't go so far as to say sports are an idol for you. I'll, I'll, I'll let other people say yeah. that about you. Uh, <laughs> You'll let Lisa that's right. have another Pastor's Wives podcast that's right. and jump in She can that. say yeah. that about you. Yeah, I, I think that has been uttered once or twice. So <laughs> I, in all seriousness, to say the battle is on. That's right. Yeah. Um, but we have a great person here to talk with us, Elise Fitch, Fitzpatrick, who wrote Idols of the Heart. Elise, how are you today? I'm really great. Thanks. Glad to be here. Elise, we're, uh, we're going to dive into uh, the book and just ask you questions about it and really you know, get our listeners a feel for it. Um, but first, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, for those who, who may not know you, um, friends, family, what do you do out there in warm San Diego? Greg and I are extremely jealous right now. Yes, we are very jealous, Elise. So we'll, we'll cover that in the idolatry section, too. <laughs> I'm... Um... I am married. I have been married for over 40 years. I have three married children and six really adorable grandchildren. Oh, great. And they live very near us here in uh, Southern California. And uh, so, I mean, who would move out of Southern California if you were born here? So uh, uh, the family is all here, and um, what I do is... um, in uh, in 1989 or so, I I got training in biblical counseling. Mm-hmm. I eventually went on to get a master's degree in biblical counseling, and uh, out of that, I uh, began to write books that I really wished were available to me in my counseling. Is really how it started, and off of that, now I've written nearly two dozen books, mm-hmm. and. Um, and I and I speak frequently at conferences around the country and internationally. Wow, wow, Elise, that is that is really really neat. And, and can I ask uh, where where did you get your uh, your training? Yes, so uh, my original training I got from Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. Mm-hmm. They had a, a satellite office in San Diego, oh, and so I was trained there. And then I went ahead and got my master's from uh, Trinity Theological Seminary in Newburgh, Indiana. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. The, uh, so uh, back then, I'm trying to think, obviously, CCEF, we've referenced them several times on this podcast mm-hmm. in some um, other contexts. Was that, is, that, is that the Pallison era 
Uh, I know yes. way back when, I think uh, Jay Adams, if, if I'm right, was he sort of the fountainhead of that initially? Jay was uh, the head of it. Jay and Don Bettler were the head of it yes, initially. And um, and then after that, now uh, David Pallison has really become one of the primary spokespersons for uh, the biblical counseling movement that would come out of CCEF, yes. along with Ed Welsh and Paul David Tripp. Yes. Mm. Yes. Right. So that's that. That's that connection. And um, yeah. So they had in uh, I want to say 1985 or so sent uh, George Scipione out to San Diego to start a CCEF branch in conjunction with Westminster Theological Seminary in Escondido, and he went ahead and did that, and that's where I got my training. Very neat. And, you know, uh, Nathan, how many times have I appealed to our trustee board that I'm willing to be sent out to San Diego um, <laughs> on any kind of dispatched mission? Uh, at least, we, I mean, we, Greg, they would take you more seriously if you'd focus on one place. Right. You're, you're willing to go to San Diego. You're willing to go to Fiji. You're willing I, to I go am. to Aruba. I am. I, I told them I will serve in, in that regard. I mean, I've given them a list of destinations. Uh, now, they have noticed how come things like Fargo on are, are there, but I, I I would get to that. I feel some of these other places need attention first. But uh, And just for the benefit or the covetousness of our audience, Elise, yeah, I was asking you today, we're, um, we're recording this here in mid-January 2016. It's going to be released uh, in about six days from, from now mm-hmm. on the 22nd. Does that sound about right, Nathan? Yeah, it sounds I uh, don't know. Not the 22nd. No, no, no. That's the 19th. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 19th, yeah. I'm all all out of sorts. So here it is. Uh, today, I think, was a high in our area in the mid-Atlantic region of 27 degrees with a wind chill factor of about mm-hmm. 18. Nathan, you were out <laughs> driving a truck in that mess today most of the day. Well, actually, thankfully, I was working in a garage today. Oh, so nice. It was a little warmer. Yeah, That is good. And uh, at least you, you had a rough day out there. You were telling me it's a little cold out there. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. I'm looking right now at my uh, weather report on my phone. And it's actually, are you ready? Yes. It's seven degrees below 70. Oh. <laughs> you set that up I perfectly. I don't know how oh. we're going to make it. <laughs> yes, because you did say that it's a little cooler than usual, a little unseasonably cold, and that you, you'll hear a lot of complaining out there of, of folks that are not used oh, to this. Oh, you know, the deal out here is if it's not 75 Warm sun, blue sky, light, cool breeze. Um, people are going to complain right. because that's what you know. Generally, that's what we expect. Except this year for the El Nino year, we're all you know we're all, we're all verklempt because we just we can't figure out what to do yes. because it's going to rain. And oh yeah! How, how on earth are we going to survive? We have to actually find. Uh, umbrellas. My my son was telling me who lives out here. He was saying, "Mom, I don't have a coat. I don't know what to do." Oh my goodness! Wow, <laughs> to not Go have to a Salvation coat. Army, babe. Right. By <laughs> wow. Yeah, I love what you said when you said when you grow up in Southern California. Why would you leave? I um, yeah. Yeah. We. Why is it, Nathan? We have so many people leaving this area. I don't know what <laughs> what that's about. I love it here. That, that's a podcast for another day. Greg. It is, but the winters are a little rough, indeed. And you've you, obviously you've traveled uh, all over the country and around uh, other parts of the globe, Lisa. You've seen other the, the way other more primitive peoples live, um, and that's good for you. That makes you a better communicator. 
So, were, well, you know, one time I was, uh, when I was in process writing one of my first books, I was co-editing with a friend, Carol Cornish, who lives actually uh, outside of, I want to say, Pennsylvania, uh-huh. or uh, Pittsburgh, and um, and she was telling me that it was she was snowed in and that she had to sort of stay inside the house for a week. Oh my and goodness. I said, I don't I don't understand what the word snowed in <laughs> what, what does that actually mean? I don't know what that means. <laughs> right. yeah, <laughs> you mean I, you can't go outside? <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. Yes, yes. Oh, the challenges of Southern California uh, living. But Well, you know, somebody's gotta live here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And uh, you have served well mm-hmm. out there, so we're we're very Thank Thankful, very thankful to have you on. Thank you. So once again, uh, Elise Fitzpatrick, Idols of the Heart. Um, now, Elise, uh, I'm just looking at some of the statistics here. It looks like um, you're you're doing a revised second edition after this book has sold over eighty thousand copies. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. The book. The book has done very well. Uh, but here we are at 15 years of the book being out. And uh, so as I spoke with the publisher about the book, there were places in the book that I wanted to sort of tighten up a little bit. Sure. You know, we all grow and change in our, the- in our theology. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we don't change a lot in our theology, but it gets tighter. Sure. And so there were places I wanted to tighten up and maybe other places I thought, mm, that's not such a good example. Let me use this. And, uh, and so we wanted to sort of give it a refurbishing and re-release it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great, at least 80,000 copies and selling. Um, so, so good. And, and, and the publisher is P&R, correct? Yeah. P&R Publishing. Yes. That's great. Um, so, Elise, take us back 15 years. What prompted you to write a book on idolatry? Well, uh, once again, as a biblical counselor, I was looking not only to help other people, but to help myself understand particularly why I sinned in the habitual ways that I did. I was particularly interested in why did it seem like uh, in certain circumstances I would find myself very worried, or in other circumstances I would habitually find myself irritable. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I wanted to, to think about that, not only for the people I was counseling at that point, but for myself, you know, what is it that's that's driving me to be fearful or angry or to self-indulge in certain circumstances? And as I uh, really began to think about uh, what motivated me, uh, I had a number of conversations, one in particular with our friend David Pallison, mm-hmm. and uh, he was very helpful to me in really understanding how idolatry continues to function in our lives, even after we are believers, even though we are seeking to serve the Lord with our whole heart, uh, soul, mind, and strength. Why, even though we were doing all of that, still there were things that we want to call functional gods or Mm. idols or things that we maybe good things that we love too much, and how those things really shape and motivate much of what we would call our sinful behavior. Yes, yes, and it's uh, interesting that you say, at least not just people that you were interacting with in a counseling format, but but 
thank you for your transparency, finding those sure. things at work in yourself, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is um, when you're really ready to share something because you've you, yeah. you you've you've got the privilege of your own uh, you know personal study twenty four seven to know how these things play out in your thinking and your heart and and uh, your mind. Um, I have found whenever um, this subject comes up of idolatry, um, people maybe that have been veteran Christians in it for a while get it. I've talked to a number of maybe younger Christians that seem a little surprised by it because it seems when they think idolatry, they think totem poles. They think National Geographic articles and witch doctors and things sort of in remote places in the world uh, that, that do not affect 21st century uh, Western people, you know, we, we have things right. like stress. We have things like, um, peer pressure. You know, we have things yeah. like, uh, keeping up with the Joneses. Sure. Those are problems that, that need to be addressed, but not idolatry. How, how do you see, um, uh, yourself bridging the gap, uh, obviously in writing this book and in counseling other women, uh, in, in terms of how to uh, help people understand that idolatry is a real, uh, and present threat today. Sure. You know, it's very interesting that, uh, I, and I don't think it's just younger people. I think a lot of Christians, uh, I mean, the, the topic of, of idolatry has become talked about much more in the last decade or, decade or so than it had been previously. But I think that if you say to a Christian, uh, okay, so what are your idols? They, you know, you get the eyes glaze over yeah. look because mm-hmm. they're like, I, I wouldn't even know where to go, how to identify that, and why is it important? So, you know, what we want to do is, is start out by saying, okay, if scripture remains completely relevant for us in, um, the 21st century, then what we have to say is, uh, the the primary structure of sin in the Bible is unbelief and idolatry. Mm-hmm. That the primary paradigm, the primary structure, the primary construct um, for sin, and you know much of the Old Testament and even the New is filled with admonitions regarding idolatry. So what are we going to say? Uh, it, idolatry doesn't. That portion of Scripture doesn't speak to us because we don't have little chubby golden Buddhas in our house. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) No, we're going to have to say, all right, for us, idolatry is more subtle. Yes. It's not that we're burning incense in front of a Buddha every morning. It's that I have desires, motivations, um, functional gods, if you will, that I love— trust and serve more than I love trust and serve Christ. And I think one of the ways that it's very easy for people to get at what their idols are is, uh, is to ask themselves, when they find themselves sinning habitually in some way, let's say, worrying or being irritable, Mm -hmm. is to really ask themselves the question, what is it that I want so much right now that I'm willing to sin in order to get it Mm. or willing to sin because I don't have it? Mm. Now, when you talk about that and you say to people, I want you to think about the last time you were really, really angry. What was it that you wanted so much? That's how we can get to talking about idolatry and really get past all of those outward 
sort of obvious idols into the functional gods that rule our hearts. And so, you know, the primary commandments are that we are to love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. So I want to ask then, what stops me from doing that? Who am I loving? Who am I serving? Who am I trusting? Yeah, yeah, Elise, thank you. Those those diagnostic questions are so good because even, and again, just uh, for our audience, Idols of the Heart, Elise Fitzpatrick, uh, PNR Publishing, this is now uh, going to its second a sort of revised 15-year-later uh, edition. Uh, and we're going to talk more about that book, this podcast, and in some future podcasts, too, on how people can get their hands on it. Um, but um, at least to, I, I bet most people would think, yeah, I'm irritable a lot of times with my kids or with my spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. You just took us through sort of a pathology of irritability uh-huh. that led back to idolatry. Because I, I do uh-huh. think most people just say I'm irritable because... My spouse is being critical of me in this area, or my children are, are demanding things of me uh, that. And I, I will admit, I mean, here I'm a pastor; I preach regularly, and I have to discipline myself. I do not drift into thinking the way you just described. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, I'm just I'm just irritable because the Ravens aren't in the playoffs this year. Um, and and you begin to do those diagnostic questions that you just laid out. Um, have you seen when you've counseled, Elise, uh, is it a joy for you? I, I would imagine it is when you kind of see the dots connected in somebody's mind. And, and uh, can you tell us about some of those aha moments, obviously without revealing people, but uh, as you've seen people sure. connect those dots, what has that been like for you? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's a real joy when people begin to get answers, particularly, let's say, that we're dealing with a Christian who really loves the Lord, really wants to get over their irritability, really doesn't understand why it seems as though they're kind of on edge all the time. Mm -hmm. When you help them to connect those dots and say things like, well, all right, what, what are you treasuring? You know, that's, that's another word for yes. Id- idolatry. Christ used that word in Matthew 6 about what you worry about. Mm-hmm. So what are you treasuring? So perhaps for someone, uh, let's say a mom who uh, finds herself irritable, well, why is it? What is, that, what is it that she's treasuring? Perhaps she's treasuring peace and quiet. Mm. <laughs> you yeah. know, so yeah. I have this list of things I need to get through, and if I don't get through it, then I just don't feel like I'll be able to lay my head down on the pillow and sort of approve of myself tonight, and you little kids are getting in the way all the time, uh-huh. and so there's that. So there's peace and quiet. There's the uh, the ability, again, to lay your head down on the pillow at the end of the day and say, I got my list done. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. See, and, the, and, and the desire then to approve of yourself, and let's put this in biblical terms now, to self-justify. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good. So, yeah, so, you know, uh, and when people see that, a lot of times Christians are just stuck. They don't know why they're doing what they're doing. And so when they get unstuck in the sense that they understand what's going on. That doesn't mean that they're never irritable again. You know, this isn't, this isn't a magic bullet, but it is helpful so that when I find myself irritable or when I find myself worrying or fearful, I know in my own heart, when I'm fearful about something, it tends to make me crabby. That's a nice 
that's a nice word. <laughs> Impatient. Yeah. Right, right. Um, when I'm afraid then I, I tend to be um, uh, sinfully impatient with people. Mm. And so then I, I can stop myself right then and say, Lord, help me to know what it is that I'm afraid of. What am I fearing more right now than I fear sinning against you? Mm. Yes, yes, excellent. And, you know, and then, and then it's helpful to say, well, okay, and, and uh, honestly, sometimes I can get to it. Sometimes I can understand what's happening, and other days I can't. Uh, other days, I just, I, I don't know what it is. I pray. I, you know, this isn't, again, it's not a magic bullet. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, you know, if you ask the Holy Spirit to help you see what it is you're loving, serving, trusting, worshiping more than God, mm-hmm. then then a, a lot of times the Holy Spirit will show you what that is. And you say you can say, oh, oh, I get it. I wanted that person's good opinion. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and I didn't get it. You know, I know for a person who speaks publicly, for myself, um, I speak publicly frequently, um, you know, the way people respond when I speak. Mm-hmm. Well, that can be idolatrous to oh, me yeah. if, if I don't get the response that I'm looking for. Yes. So then maybe I feel sorry for myself, maybe I despair that I'll never <laughs> I'll never be any good, you know, and, and again, getting back to self-justifying. Mm-hmm. Yes. I wish I could relate to you on that. I, no. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes people lie because they're idolaters. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. You know, that's a struggle for Nathan on this podcast. I'm, I'm really trying to shepherd him through that. No, I, I, as somebody that Greg's speaks, approach is do as I say, not right. as I do. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I got to stay in the interview chair. In this one. I um, no, as and I've talked to pastors obviously all the time that do a, a lot of speaking and. You know, the ones that get honest uh, with you. I mean, I think that's uh, even a Spurgeon story that I heard once. And again, you know, you wonder how many of these are accurate, how many have become a little bit, uh, a little bit legendary, apocrypha sort of stuff. But the one apparently where he was done uh, his sermon and uh, a kind lady in the back said, oh, that was a wonderful sermon, Mr. Spurgeon. And he didn't say anything. Um, And she said it again. Um, and she's, you know, and he didn't say anything, you know, Mr. Spurgeon, I, I, did you hear me? I said, that sermon was wonderful. And he said, yes, dear lady. And the devil whispered the same thing in my ear when I was walking down <laughs> to my seat. Uh, you know, cause yes, there, there, exactly. there is that sense of, oh boy, I want to serve the Lord. And if I could get a little affirmation out of it too, um, yeah. you know, that's, that's good. And I think, um, you know, pastors, at least I can speak for myself are, in some ways notorious for it because when you're putting yourself out there publicly again and again, that subtle craving for affirmation can, can come. And I think, um, one of the things I've noticed is to, to the degree that I welcome constructive criticism is to the degree mm-hmm. that I think I'm getting healthier. Um, uh-huh. because it's at that point, it's not about getting your ego stroked. It's about, uh, improving and doing your best and raising the bar of excellence to give the Lord your best. And it's a liberating focus. Uh, but, um, an experience I'd like to see on the increase and I'm (laughs) speaking for myself there. So, um, that's an excellent, uh, uh, example you give there. And, um, uh, you, you had a question, Nathan. Yeah. um, So at least one of the major, um, changes in the book from what I understand is, uh, there are now um, these end of chapter questions. Is that correct? 
yes, the, some of the questions. I think that there were questions originally, mm-hmm. um, but also uh, we we went through and, and revamped some of the questions as well. Okay, so those would be re- revamped. So let me ask you something. Would you say that this book um, is is going to be most effective working with someone um, to, to help you be honest and honestly evaluate yourself and your life? Or is this something that's going to be, um, just as, just as good going through on your own? Because I know for me personally, you know, I can, I can, like you said, justify away a lot of my responses when it comes to things like that. And I'm trying to do an, an honest assessment. It's a little more difficult to justify those things away when I have, let's say my wife sitting across from me and I give one answer and she kind of looks at me and says, really? <laughs> yes. Really? Yes. That second conscience called that's, the wife. That's right. Yeah. Some, sometimes the better one too. Yeah, you know, I think that obviously God has given us the church, the body of Christ, because uh, you know, we we're not very good at seeing our own sin. Mm-hmm. Um we're it's kind of like that game that you play, you know, when you Somebody, you, you put some, someone's name on your back, and then you've got to go around, and everybody else knows what the name on your back is, but you don't. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. kind of how it is with us and our idolatry. Yeah. Uh, people generally, other people generally see us pretty clearly for what we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, again, Jeremiah 17 says that our own hearts are deceitfully wicked, mm-hmm. and we can't understand them. So, uh, you know, in light of that, I think it's better to go through the book with other people. That doesn't mean, I mean, I've talked to any number of people who've gone through it on their own, and it was helpful, but I I would love to see a a group of folks get together and just say, hey, you know, for our small group for the next uh, five months, six months, we're going to go through this book. And we're gonna we're gonna become transparent with one another. Mm-hmm. And again, that's really something that I think is really um, absent in a lot of the church is this transparency yes. about about our sin. You know, the, great. The reality is, if we didn't have a savior, then someone who would save us from our sin, then it would it would be appropriate. It would be logical to cover up our sin. Mm-hmm. But because we because we are Christians, which means that we recognize we need saving, yes. um, mm-hmm. we should be transparent about our sins. So, I mean, I think that it's a it's a great idea to get together with a group of people and say, "Hey, let's let's work through this and uh, I'm going to give you the I'm going to give you the right, the option to speak into my life if you see something going on that that smacks of idolatry. Yeah. And then and then the other thing that you said that I thought was so very was so very important was we can really judge how much, for instance, we value and worship other people's opinions mm-hmm. by the way we respond when we're criticized. Yes. 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 I, I think criticism isn't there such a automatic uh, default position, at least when we're criticized, uh, to find any way to shield ourselves from it. Um, oh well, absolutely. It, I mean, you know, we're we're all still standing back in the Garden of Eden, trying to cover ourselves up with fig leaves. Yes, yes, exactly, <laughs> right? exactly. It's great, like, great example. 
I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm flawed. I'm frail. I've been a Christian for 45 years. I honestly thought I'd be farther down the pike than I am right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's interesting to me how when I confess my sin in, fr- in front of a group of people, sometimes very large audiences, people are shocked. Mm, yes. now, why is that? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. That's, I mean, that's amazing to me that, that people are not used to having their leaders uh, confess their sin. Well, what that does then is it breeds within the people who listen to us an unwillingness to be criticized or confess their own sin. Yes, yes. Yes, and, and, and I, think, uh, I think, Elise, it makes, it makes people increasingly unrelatable. I, I can't tell you the amount of times that uh, I, I normally don't tell people, Nathan hears me say this all the time, I look for ways to avoid telling people I'm a pastor at mm-hmm. all costs. Um, now, w- w- with an unbeliever, it has nothing to do, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I mean, by the grace of God, I should mm-hmm. say I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Um, I often know, however, that I I can't tell you the number of people that have talked to me about their life, etc., and uh, they might use some profanity, and then they find out, oh, I'm a pastor, and they profusely apologize to me. Um, and it can sometimes be a barrier uh, to relate, but even believers sometimes, because they think, well, I, I can't tell you this because you're a pastor and you can't relate to my struggle with this or right. that. And, you know, I, I think, um, I, I often say this in our church that pastors sometimes, when they do confess, confess very uh, safe things. Um, yes, very you know, generic. <laughs> yes, <laughs> generic. Like you know, I've, I've heard, and I, oh my goodness, I've heard pastors sometimes say, you know, when I struggle, sometimes I ask myself, do I really pray as much as I should? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I don't think. Right. Oh, come right. on. I mean, it's... I only, I only prayed for forty-five minutes right. today. <laughs> yes, yes. And like, I think seriously? you know <laughs> exactly. And you, you think, okay, wait a minute. So people hear that. And they think, yeah. oh, I could never talk to him about the struggles mm-hmm. I'm having with right. with with gluttony or the struggles I'm having right. with uh, you know just this constant critical spirit that I have towards my children or or the horrible right. things I've said to my spouse, and they just feel isolated. So I right. I love that Elise about your book, Idols of the Heart. It is it, it's sort of a let's <laughs> let's stop playing mm-hmm. church. Let's get real. Yeah. I think it was Luther yeah. that that once said. You know, uh, we are not painted sinners that have a painted Savior. We're real right. sinners, and thank God, as, right. as you, we have a real Savior yeah. who saves us from these real sins, and it's a real salvation. So why are we prettying up these things that ultimately make us, I think, more ineffective? And uh, again, I just thank you. It, your book is a real labor of love, uh, Elise. And I know you. Oh, and I, I wanted to ask you this: um, Is this uh, safe to say this is your? your most famous, most noted book of the almost two dozen that you've written? Um, no, I don't. It, it's it's right up there. My daughter and I wrote a book entitled Give Them Grace. Oh, yes, uh, yes. Dazzling, dazzling your kids with the love of Jesus. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would say it's it's right up there with that and Because He Loves Me. And you know some of the some of those books. It's it's done very well. Um, and one of the things that I wanted to do in this new edition of the book is to bring more talk about 
the gospel, more talk about mm. grace, mm. Yes. more talk about uh, what it means to be justified, and and what that means about God's opinion of you. Um, I wanted to bring that into into the idols of a heart discussion. Yes, because. Because the one problem that I think I saw from the book was we can tend to become almost idolatrous about our uh, our own ability to diagnose ourselves. Interesting. In other Interesting. words, you know, we spend we we spend too much time uh, looking uh, do what I, doing what I call heart spelunking. You oh, know, yes, um, yes. right? Yes. Um, digging around in my own heart, trying to find my motives. Well, is it appropriate for me to seek to know my idolatries? Yes, absolutely. Uh, but is it appropriate for me to spend all my time doing that mm-hmm. or to even believe that if I get that kind of figured out, I'll be freed from all my sin? That's mm-hmm. inappropriate. And that's where I did not want to go at this mm-hmm. point. Wow. Excellent. Yeah. Um, Elise, talk to us a little bit about uh, – you had mentioned you know, uh, in writing the second edition, just growing in your theology and tightening uh-huh. some things. Can you uh, tell us some of those specifics that you looked to tighten and strengthen? You mentioned a little bit about bringing more of the gospel into this and the love of Christ and grace. Um, what are some of those other things that you wanted to tighten up that you've over – the, over the 15 years um, between the first edition and this one coming out that you've changed and you've seen God really work and grow through you? Yeah, thank you. Um, I wanted to talk about the word justification <laughs> in in the book and how I I really see much of our idolatries being self justification. I don't think I talked about that uh, very much, if at all, in the first edition. But in this edition, I wanted to uh, define very strongly what the word justification means. Mm-hmm. You know, so first of all, it's not simply just as if I had never sinned, which <laughs> quite frankly isn't bad. Right. Um, right. You know, that, that before God, my record before God is not simply just as if I had never sinned, but it is also just as if I had always obeyed. Yes. Now, yes. because I have the perfect righteousness of Christ, Imputed to me judicially by uh, by my by my father, uh, the judge of heaven, um, because I have his perfect righteousness. That does a couple of things for me. First of all, it makes me free. Uh, let me say more comfortable, if you will, to run to God for help when I find myself falling in to the same traps over and over again. Instead of thinking that he's unhappy with me or doesn't love me because here I am 45 years down the pike and I'm still worrying. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that really helps in that way. But then also I think it's very helpful um, to think about how much self-justifying I do. So, you know, how much, how much work I do to try to be able to approve of myself in my own eyes or to get others to approve of me, my husband, my children, my grandchildren, friends, uh, etc. So, so that whole self-justifying thing, if I can really get to the place, and, and this is what I long to do, is to get to the place where I can say, I no longer need to justify myself in anyone's eyes because I have been justified and given a perfect record by the person who is really the only person in all the universe whose opinion matters. Yes, yes. 
Wow. I, I have to say, at least that is so, that is just, we talk about grace a lot on this podcast. And uh, I, I find the more and more people I talk to, writers in particular, that look back on previous works that were excellent, solid, biblical. It's not yeah. that they have any regret per se. It's just, oh, I want to go back and just what you said, emphasize more grace, more of the gospel. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen it in reverse where somebody said, you know, I put too much grace <laughs> in that <clears throat> that first book. I want to dampen or I want to lessen the grace a little bit in the second because I, I think um, – you know, and this wasn't something we, we had really prepped you for, Elise. So I'm very confident that you can you can uh, uh, probably say some really really uh, insightful things on this subject. Uh, in what ways do you find as you grow in Christ, and as you said, 45 years into your walk, uh, that you find grace motivating, liberating, empowering? Can can can, can you speak to that as you yourself sure. have have walked with Christ um, uh, longer? Yeah, you know, I thank you for that question. I think the thing that has really changed for me is the focus uh, is no longer on how deep or wide or strong my love for God is, mm. but rather how deep, wide, faithful, strong, never-ending, never-giving-up, as Sally Lloyd-Jones says. Yes. Never-giving-up. His love is for me. And, you know, if I can live in the light of the fact that I am completely loved, and as Tim Keller says, even though I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe, I am yet more loved and welcomed than I ever dared hope. That, if I can live in the light of that, then that frees me, really, first of all, to be transparent about who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm no longer trying to impress anyone. Um... I wish I could say that that's completely true for me all the time. Mm-hmm. It's not, um, but I'm but I'm getting there. Mm-hmm. But to remember that the place where love for God comes from is not from my looking at myself, but rather from my observing, resting in, and believing His love for me. Which, of course, is what John says in First John when he says we love because He first loved us. Yes. Yes. Once again, we are talking with Elise Fitzpatrick, Idols of the Heart, second edition. Um, Elise, we we do want to be mindful of your time, um, but I do have uh, one more question for you before uh, before we sign off here. Um, Greg and I realize that as two men, we are um, extremely deficient in uh, speaking to the women out there, mm-hmm. um, and you, I believe, are the third woman that we've had on this podcast and to so, our discredit yes yes but it, it's, um, it's, it's it's a resolution for 2016 it is yeah. um but we we want to um we want you to specifically um speak to the women out there um as a woman um you've talked with so many other women on this subject um can you give us some specific examples that are um unique to women and their struggles with idolatry and and some things that um, they can, you know, focus on and, and that's helped you and help them kind of move through this or begin to move through this. Sure. Uh, and, you know, I think that, you know, first of all, men and women are, are equal opportunity idolaters. Yes. We all are. <laughs> um, but I do think that because women were created, women, women really were created to be helpers, to be nurturers to be in relationship. Uh, 
so Eve, you know, before the fall, Eve is created to be a helper suitable to her husband. I think that for women, a lot of the places where we get off track is when that creational design, which is a good design, when that thing goes south, and uh, and it has, you know, it has Rachel in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis mm-hmm. making a statement like this, give me children or else I'll die. Yes. Now, I yeah. don't think we'll ever hear a man say that. I mean, maybe he would, <laughs> but that's not necessarily a, a, a male way of thinking about what do I absolutely have to have in order to live a life that's worth living? And for women, that tends to be focused, and, and, I, and I really hope this doesn't sound you know, like I'm just broad-brushing everybody, but it really does tend to be focused in relationships, mm-hmm. which is why I think you know, if you put a, a bunch of women together in a room, uh, in, in 15 minutes they've all gone deep. They've all right. talked about their family, they're talking about their children, things they're struggling in, with in their heart. Men, on the other hand, are going to talk about their work, yes. which again is creational design. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to talk about their work, they're going to talk about their sports teams, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> not meaning to, you know, throw any stones here. <laughs> um, throw them, Elise, throw them, you can't. <laughs> but, you know, women... Because they are created, because their their nature is derivative. You know, she was created from Adam. Now she is she is of course equal in standing before God uh, ontologically. She is equal in her standing before God. She is just as valued. She is just as much in the image of God as a man is. But she's going to have certain things that are going to concern her. I mean, Lot's wife turned around and looked at her home. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Lot didn't. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can you can go through Scripture. You can see Mary and Martha, mm-hmm. and you know what's Martha fussing with Christ about? Mm-hmm. Well, she wants to make a nice meal. Mm-hmm. Well, because that's part of her design mm-hmm. is to want to nurture the people that she loves. And this isn't meant as a slam to any woman who works outside the home. Quite obviously, I have a career. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, but you find women gravitating to the nurturing professions. Yes. And that's, uh, that, I think, is because of their design. So therefore, I'm going to look for idolatry in my own heart, in my relationships. Do I, do I have to have a certain kind of relationship with my husband? Mm-hmm. Do I have to have a certain kind of relationship with my children? What about with my friends? Most men won't, most men won't self-indulge or, or overeat because they found out that their friends got together for coffee and they weren't invited. Right. <laughs> right. Right. See, but women will, uh, some women will, because relationships mean so much to women. So much more, I think, than, let's say, accomplishments. Right. Right. At least, thank you. I mean, you're speaking really some some profound things here. And this wasn't something I was going to ask you either, but it really popped in my mind. Uh, we had another pastor on, uh, Nathan Steve, I want to say a, a few weeks ago, we were talking about this. Mm. He agreed with me. I've never done empirical research on this, but uh, as a pastor, I have talked to more women, um, almost two to one, and that's just a wild guess looking back at 20 years or so, Elise, on the subject of assurance of salvation. I've certainly talked to men. More, Mm -hmm. it is, I have found it, and I asked my other pastor friend, Steve, and he said he has had the exact same experience. Uh, 
Could you tie some of this in? And I love talking to women that are struggling with with that subject because normally I always uh, try to highlight the struggle, and I think in most cases it is as evidence. In other words, I uh, that God is at work in them and that they truly right. truly belong to Christ. Because when right. I get at it, I say, "What is it?" And they'll talk about the kind of mother they envision themselves being, kind of wife right. they envision themselves mm-hmm. being, and I ask them describe that. And then I ask them, give me your present experience. And uh, and then I say, okay, so you're discouraged because the gulf is so vast, the picture right. you have in your mind. But then I'll ask them, where do you think the picture came from? Because I've never met an unbeliever uh, that is up at night losing sleep over, oh, how is my yeah. life going to be more Christ-centered and, and, and right. more honoring to him? So I try to encourage them with that. But just out of curiosity, one, at least do you – have you found that to be true yourself, that it might be yeah. a more common struggle for women? And then two, why do you think that is? I mean, I think I know what you're going to say, but I'd love to hear you unpack that. Um, I think women, and yes, I, I find that. I, I think I have known men that were introspective to a fault. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. But generally speaking, I think that's something that women do. Mm-hmm. And um, I think first, I, I think it comes from a couple of places. First of all, once again, because women are the primary nurturers, they're the primary uh, relationship builders, they're far more concerned about um, how they spoke to Johnny three years ago when he didn't do well when he was swinging the bat. Right. They're going they're going to remember those things and take them to heart because their nature is to want to build the family. Yes. So they're going to see that and also I want to say and I, I you know I I'm just going to say this and I I don't know where this is going to take us in our discussion but you know really the only person who was following Christ um before his crucifixion, who really understand the crucifixion, understood that he was going to die for her sin was Mary. Yes. Um, the disciples missed it entirely. Mm-hmm. I mean, completely yeah. missed mm-hmm. it. And I don't know what it is, but I, it seems to me that perhaps it's because women are more aware of their frailty, mm. uh, more aware of their weakness, more aware of their need, uh, more desperate for that relationship with God, um, that they are then also more aware of perhaps what they think the Lord has asked them to do. So there's that, but then I think also that there is an immense amount of guilt that's poured on women, and uh, not not just by the culture and the whole Facebook and Pinterest and all of that ridiculousness where women really feel like they don't have any value unless their home looks like Martha Stewart decorated it. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, you know, uh, women have been told, you need to keep your house in such a way that uh, if Jesus would walk in, he would be proud of you. Well, there's so much wrong with that statement, yeah. it makes me want to blow my brains out. Right, but, right. <laughs> but see, women, women will take that stuff to heart. Yeah, mm. yeah. And so we have to be really careful, you know, that we're, that we're preaching the good news to women. We're yes. preaching the gospel to women mm-hmm. because they'll take it to heart and they'll run with it. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Wow, so many conversations are playing through my yeah. mind, at least, and I, mm-hmm. as you say that. And uh, Nathan, what, what can we do, by the way? I, I want to get Elise and her family to move from 
San Diego to Harford County, Maryland, and join Christ Fellowship. Greg, I think she would blow her brains out <laughs> if she did that. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I... Um, Free and fast, brother. Free yeah. and fast. <laughs> so, look, uh, Elise, no, very, very insightful. Uh, Thank you. Actually, Elise, uh, I'm sorry. We, we just keep going because um, I'm, I'm just thinking about... Um, uh, some other things that are popping into my mind. You mentioned all these things that are put on women and that they have to do. And, you know, part of it, I know, um, I, I don't think there's a women's conference out there that doesn't reference Proverbs 31 in some way. And now there's a Proverbs 31 ministry. Can you put that um, chapter of the Bible in the context of the gospel in its appropriate context for women out there so they stop feeling all this guilt and pressure? Yeah. Let me just say, I've done a little research on this, and in the last 10 years, over 20 books have been written for women about how to be a Proverbs 31 woman. Mm -hmm. So I think we've taken that that horse and Titus 2 and beaten it to death. (laughs) The the only two passages in the Bible for women. That have anything to do with women. (laughs) Titus 2. (laughs) So you you, you mean um, there's more in the Bible for women than those? Yeah, I know. Well, they could always read read Esther and Ruth. Right. Right. Um, What I'd like to do is take Proverbs 31 and tell women this is what the Lord Jesus says about you uh, as you are right now because you're justified. This is how he sees you. Yes. Mm. Yes. Wow. Mm. Uh, at least you're, I mean, this is, uh, I rarely get emotional on this podcast, but I, uh, you know, uh, by the way, my wife has given me free permission because I, I learned the hard way, at least to not share stories about your wife without her permission. Um, yeah. uh, learned that a couple of I'm times. I'm still learning that lesson. Right. <laughs> I'll hold you in check, brother. <laughs> I, I, I know where Joy lives, so I can I can uh, check in. But I, uh, we, my wife was on this podcast and my good friend Matt Smith, his wife, uh, Matt led me to Christ. He's a pastor in the area, and it was just so good. Nathan did such a good job that day, drawing them out some of the unique struggles of a pastor's wife and, and women in particular. Yeah. And just yeah. to hear you say, because uh, one of the things they both commented on is they've yet to read a quote unquote Christian woman's book <laughs> where where chapter one is not the following: wake up at the crack of dawn <laughs> right. uh, before right. anybody else is awake. And, <laughs> Make your flax bread and uh, yeah. have your hour devotional. You grew <laughs> in your backyard, and you know, obviously, have, have have captured a little bit of the caricature that goes on in, in in Christian women subculture. But just to hear you say what I know, I can speak for those two women in particular, and and I think so many that are listening in to hear what the gospel says to them about their identity in Christ. As the starting right. point. Mm-hmm. Oh, just thank you. Thank you. Right. Sure, you're welcome. Uh, this has been um, so great. And again, we, we do want to be mindful of your time 10 minutes later after I said I wanted <laughs> to be mindful of your time. Uh, but and in conclusion. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, it well, is. we're been, having fun. We yes, are. Yeah. No, and it has been so good. And, you know, we would just, um, we would love to have you back on at some point Absolutely. and maybe do I'd a part that. two and explore this even deeper because, um, you know, it, it is just so beneficial. And, and, you know, as much fun as Greg and I have on this podcast and, you know, uh, going deeper 
deep in doing theological studies, we know that um, in the area of appealing to uh, women and, and their needs, we are deficient and we do oh, sure. want to um, rectify that in, in the coming year. So. And, and somehow there are still women that listen. <clears throat> I know. Which is amazing, the grace they're already showing <laughs> by even listening to us ramble on. Uh, but well, I, you know, the, the reality is that the majority of Christian women are sick of fluff. Yes. And they know that if they're going to listen to something that has some substance, they're yes. going to have to hear it from a man. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Well, you know, it's, I, I, I'm sure uh, you have um, uh, uh, listened to John Piper uh, uh, many times, mm-hmm. Elise, and I, I can uh-huh. even hear echoes of it in, in some of the, the very good insights that you've, uh, you've shared. But I was at a conference years ago. Uh, it was, I think, one of the Together for the Gospel conferences. And uh, I thought of you a couple of times because Piper was talking about women in his church back in uh, in Minnesota, and you uh-huh. know, classic Piper esque. You know, very his um, his preaching voice was in in full blossom, and he was saying, and "I think of these women at Bethlehem," and he says, "They've got steel in their spine and velvet hands and great theology in their minds, and I want to marry all of them." <laughs> and then there was kind of an awkward. Uh, yeah, and then he goes. But I can't, he says, because I'm married. Uh, <laughs> but just his his sense of a, a generation of women that are really rising up that don't want fluff and don't want simple, right. you know, little little practical, uh, little life lessons, but really want some substance, want the gospel in its fullness. Um, right. And I just... Thank you again, Elise, for writing and sharing and speaking out of that same heart. It 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 does us all good, men or women. Yeah, yeah. Great. I'm so thankful for the opportunity. Well, once again, Elise Fitzpatrick, Idols of the Heart. Um, We are hoping to get a few copies of this. We will uh, let our listeners know uh, about the contest quote-unquote contest because we do want to send some of those books out when we get them but we want to make sure that we have them in hand so um we will let you know further about that giving away a few books please go out and pick up the book once again elise fitzpatrick idols of the heart uh and that's going to be it that's going to be a wrap guys elise greg we just rocked the cast thank you california style these go to 11